0: So awesome. thanks so much Twig. I'd love to extend my warmest welcome to you all as well. If you're new for the first time, please stick around. We've got the Connections Lounge up the back and dinner afterwards. We would just so love to meet you, get to know you and get you into our community. We love it. And a special welcome to those online as well. It's so great to have you guys with us. We are jumping back into our series in James after a short break over Easter. And I don't know about you, but this series has hit me right here, hey. Every week there's something new to learn, something that's newly convicted, I guess. I guess the best way that I've heard it described is the book of James is like a root canal. Awfully painful, but so, so necessary for our spiritual health. And there's been so many stories that have come out of it. And I actually recently heard my favorite story from my parents, so I'm a little biased. But if you remember, a number of weeks ago, Pastor Twig preached on faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so my parents were sitting in the audience and they heard that and they felt like God was really laying something on their hearts. At the end of the service, my mum turned to my dad and she said, look, I feel like God is asking us, there's this lady in our community, She's been desperate for someone to just mow a lawn and no one's been able to get around to her. Do you reckon we could help her out this week? And my dad was like, yeah, on my day off this week, I'll go over and I'll take care of it. So he goes over, armed with his whippersnipper and lawn mower, And he starts on the front lawn, he gets the lines down pat with the lawnmower, then he edges and whippersnips. It's looking immaculate, okay? So an hour of work done, and then he makes his way around to the side of the house, to the side entrance of the backyard. And as he opens the door, no joke, he's met with a wall of grass. Now I'm short, but my dad is not. This grass was above eye level. And there's meant to be a trampoline and an outdoor setting in there, but you can't see it. All you can see is this forest of grass. And so like a true champion takes a deep breath and he starts with the whipper-snipper. Away he goes. And if you've grown up in Queensland, Australia, there's something your parents always warn you about long grass that my dad had the great pleasure of remembering in this instance. Pretty soon after he starts whippersnipping, the first snake rears up and launches at him. So he starts fending it off with the whippersnipper. And it's not long before the second snake joins it, rears up and launches at him. So at this point, he's half fencing the snakes off and half whippersnipping, trying to get this forest of grass down. Four hours later, he is cooked, sunburnt, exhausted. His eyes are swollen because he had to take his glasses off so he could see the, the snakes better and fend them off. The whippersnipper is dead. There is no revival. The lawnmower is on its last legs and there's still a corner a corner of this grass forest left where all the snakes have retreated to, might I add. <laughs> and so defeated, he goes to his neighbour who owns a lawn mowing business and says, mate, can I hire you for a job? I'm, I'm out of equipment. And so a few days later, when he goes to settle the bill with his friend, his friend says, look, I've seen what you've done. I saw all the work you did. One good turn returns, um, one good Turn, deserves another. There we go. And so consider it settled. And I love that story because it's the simple things as mowing a lawn, maybe not in this instance, but it's the simple things that God uses to show his love for his people. He wanted to love on that lady so intentionally. And what a great witness that is for a stranger to have another stranger come and mow their lawn just to say, God loves you and an amazing witness to the neighbour as well who owned the lawn mowing company. And it's a great reminder of how what we do in the physical affects the spiritual. Despite all that trouble, I truly believe that action of mowing the lawn was winning spiritual battles. And that's exactly what James is looking at in the passage we are going through today. So before we get into the passage, I just wanna give you a bit of context. Remember that this was the letter written to brand spanking new Christians scattered through Jerusalem. And at that time, James was writing this, there was so much confusion and misunderstanding about what it meant to be a Christ follower. Put it this way, the guys in the Corinthian church, they were suing each other. In the Galatian church, it says they were biting and devouring one another. There was problems between the rich and the poor, there was separation there, and there was even issues in the churches of Ephesus and Philippi as well. And James is seeing all this, and he's got to set it straight, he's got to tell the people what it means to be a Christ follower. And the passage we're about to look at can be split into three main sections. In the first verse, James sees the problem, he addresses it. And the second two, he looks at the cause, the causes of this problem. And the final section, James gives us an antidote, a solution to the problem. And the language that James uses in this passage is littered with references to battles and war. In fact, you'll see in just a second that the Greek word for fight that James chooses in these verses, one and two, is often translated to warfare. Again, in verse seven, the word for submit that he uses actually better translates to soldiers falling into ranks. And he does this intentionally to set the background of a battlefield, a war, a spiritual war that we are all fighting every single day. Which begs the question, who's the enemy in this war? Who are we fighting? And Martin Luther puts it best in his triad of enemies of the Christian growth. The flesh, the world, and the devil. So let's dive in. James chapter four, verses one to 12. If you've got your Bibles with, them, with you, grab them out now. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word now, we just want to invite your spirit into this place and ask that you would translate this passage for us. Would you give us open minds and open hearts to receive humbly the word you've given us, Lord? And I just pray as we go through this passage that you would use it to reveal areas in our lives that are not in line with your will. Father, help us to be humble and open-minded in love for you as we approach this passage. Amen. What a passage, hey? James is certainly not pulling any punches. He sees how we're fighting and we're quarreling against one another, either literally or figuratively, verbally and emotionally. And he tells us that there are two causes of this. Firstly, the desires that battle within us. And secondly, our misplaced friendship with the world. In verse 1, James asks, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And the Greek word for desires that James uses here is hedonon, which is the root word of our English word hedonism. And it describes a person who seeks to gratify the sinful tendencies of fallen man. Seeking pleasure by gratifying every passion imaginable, no matter the cost. And it is always used with a negative connotation. James uses it here to describe our sinful nature. And Paul actually uses this concept as well, but he calls it by a different name. He calls it the flesh. In Galatians 5, 13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now before we get into what all this means, I just wanna take a moment to make something very clear. Your body is not evil. Your body may be the battleground where your spirit and your flesh fight it out, but your body is not evil. In fact, we just celebrated this last week in the bodily resurrection of Christ, the importance of our bodies. You were made in the image of Christ, beautifully and intentionally. And while it may suffer from the consequences of a fallen world, Your body can be used by the spirit to serve God or by your flesh to serve sin. And the flesh is described by John Piper as any human action without dependence on the Holy Spirit or without glorifying God. He says it could be as grotesque as child abuse or as moral as trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Whatever we do, when we act in our own self-reliance and not out of a heart that is dependent on God or to bring glory to him, that is the flesh. That is when we act in the flesh. And Paul continues in Galatians 5, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There is a very real and a very fierce war that rages inside each and every one of us. The battle of our flesh against God's Spirit. You see, we inherited this sinful flesh nature from Adam and the consequences of living in a fallen world. But when we accept Christ's sacrifice and we invite him to live in our lives, God's spirit lives in us. A theologian by the name of R.C. Sproul describes it like this. He says, there is a fierce struggle between the power of sin in our natural fallen humanity against the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. So the whole struggle and process of sanctification invokes what Paul calls warfare. There's a war going on. And it's a war between the flesh of man and the Spirit of God. He continues, when I came to Christ, I found new conscience. And so now the things that didn't worry me about before became matters of ethical concern. And life was complicated. And wouldn't it have been nice if when I was converted, I'd said, well, what I did was I traded in the flesh and bought the spirit and lived happily ever after. That's the struggle of sanctification. Though the power of the flesh is broken and the power of the flesh is now subordinate to the spirit, To a very real regeneration. The flesh is not totally annihilated at conversion. The war goes on. And what James and Sproul is describing is a war between the flesh and the spirit of God that we receive when we become Christians. While the power of the flesh is broken, our sinful nature is not removed. It still lives within us at war with our new spirit that we've received with Christ. And these desires, these hidden on, they are not of God. In verse 2, James says, these desires, our sinful flesh, causes us to kill, quarrel, covet, envy, and fight. And this selfish nature is reflected in our prayer life. James goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask, God when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures did you know there was a wrong way to pray so often we treat our good gift giving God like a vending machine we present to him all of our wants and desires a better paying job bigger house a wife a husband like a boyfriend, girlfriend, better grades in school or uni, a nice holiday, new car. And we present these all to Him, and then we have the nerve to get disappointed when God, when we think God isn't answering us. Bob Utley says, God answers all prayers, but sometimes He says no. And when we pray out of self motivation, motive of self-gratification to fulfill our own selfish desires, James says, we're not going to get what we want. And why on earth would God say yes to that? Instead of seeking God's will, we tell God what he's meant to do, and then we get angry at him when he says no. Jesus calls us to pray in his name. And to pray in his name means to pray in line with his will and with his heart. A true disciple of Christ should have prayer concerns that reflect God's heart. You see, the purpose of prayer is not to bring man's will into heaven, but to get God's will on earth. The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will in heaven, but to get God's will on earth but we keep pursuing our selfish desires we lie to ourselves by saying that god isn't enough and we replace him with the things of this world that we've fallen in love with we reject god and we spiritually cheat on him that is why james says in verse 4 you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against god Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? To be a friend of the world is to identify with the world's standards and priorities. It is to adopt a man-centered value system and wisdom rather than God-centered you see, the world makes man the ultimate authority on truth, morality, and ethics. It's the wisdom we actually learn about, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago in James chapter three. This earthly wisdom is described as unspiritual and demonic. It places humans above God. And when we accept that truth, the truth of this world instead of God's, that is when we cross over into worldliness. John talks in his letters, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So the truth that God calls us to says that if we become distracted and consumed by the ways of this world, not only do we not love God, we have become an enemy of God. We cannot love both God and the world. And like a loving husband rightfully longs for the devotion of his bride, so too does God long for us. Francis Chan describes verses 5 and 6 a bit like this. He says, God longs for a loving relationship with us. In fact, he's put a spirit in us for the sole purpose of connecting with his spirit. But we have strayed. We've been like an adulterous spouse being more interested in the values of the world than in what God cares about. Maybe you've spent your life pursuing other things and you've missed out on this relationship. Well, James says that's okay because God gives more grace. And we've seen how our flesh, our sinful nature has caused us to be at war within ourselves. The desires of the world distract And seduce us, making us enemies with God. We are at war against the flesh and against the world. And at this point, it's looking pretty bleak. Let's be totally honest here. But in verse 6, James gives us the solution, he gives us that antidote. But he gives us more grace. Grace is our solution to battling the war against the flesh. Grace is the solution for battling the war within us and restoring our relationship with God and not conforming to the ideologies of this world. But you see, grace requires a response. It requires repentance. In verses 7 to 10, James shows us that true repentance is not to be taken lightly. We are to mourn. We are to weep over our selfish desires. When we hurt others, when we're in conflict with others, and when we are away from God, we're meant to get upset about it. When we truly understand the nature of our sin, it's meant to bring us to our knees with the weight of it. Because it's then that we truly realise just how far away we have strayed from God. In verses 7 to 10, this is how James says we are to repent. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Repentance begins when we reestablish lordship of Christ over our lives by submitting to him, his truth and his will. We are then able to resist the devil, which Luther says is the third enemy in the trial. And we do this using our spiritual weapons, prayer, scripture, worship, fellowship, and obedience. And I was wrestling with whether or not to share this, but God has made it very clear that I have to, so here we go. In preparing this sermon, God revealed an area in my life that needed repentance, I'd been really struggling to write this message and I couldn't, I couldn't understand why I was having so much trouble. And God revealed to me that it was because pride had taken root in my heart. So the last time I had the great honour of speaking, I got a lot of encouragement. I got a lot of praise and I loved it. I lapped it up. And instead of giving glory to God for all the work that he did to speak to me and through me, and prepare the hearts of those receiving it, I took the glory. And so I came at this message being like, all right, how can we make this better? How can we be more impressive? How can I get more praise? And I turned what should have been an act of worship, an act of submission, into what James calls something unspiritual and demonic. I gave in to the desires of the flesh, Just wanting praise, which is what the world tells us to as well. I tried to remove God from His own word. And I was so ashamed, and I grieved, and I mourned my selfishness and my pride that put me in direct opposition to God. My laughter changed to mourning, and I wept at the realization of how far from God I had wandered. But God gave me more grace, and He can give it to you too this evening. There are areas in all of our lives where we try to do things in our own strength and for our own good, where we give in to the ideas the values and the wisdom of the world, these battles that we face, the warring within ourselves and the influence of the world, even against temptations from Satan himself, we're not meant to fight these on our own. The God who lives in us is far greater, far more powerful than our own flesh, than the world and Satan. So tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to respond and repent. I know how much we struggle with the idea of repentance. We hate even using the word, let alone being told that we need to. And I want to tell you a hard truth that God taught me just a couple of days ago. And I pray that you would seriously accept this with humility The reason we struggle with repentance is because of our pride. If you're listening now and you don't think there's an error in your life that God needs to work on, I can tell you from personal experience that's not the truth. It is the pride in our hearts that keep us from God. We're too proud to accept that we're wrong that we're flawed and that we're in need of God. Repentance makes us uncomfortable and it's painful. But that's what James says it's meant to be like. Our relationship with God can only be restored from the damage of sin in our lives when we make the choice to humble ourselves to him. That's what repentance is. We are making that decision to want to restore our relationship with God. When we repent, when we humble ourselves, we choose to deny our worldly desires, our fleshly desires, and instead accept God's will for our lives. When we repent, we draw near to God, and God draws near to us. And as the team comes up, I just really want to pray for you. And in the next song, if you feel that God is laying something on your heart, I would love to invite you to come down the front. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Just as in the end of the passage says, who are we to judge? There is no judgment. We're all broken. We are all flawed. Why don't we give the moment and pray to God now? Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we see the areas in our lives that fall short. We see our pride and our selfishness. We see when we give in to the desires of the flesh, to the influences and pressures of the world, Lord, but they are not of you. And so we want to come now, Lord, and just ask for your forgiveness ask that you would remove the barrier between us so that we can be reunited with you in intimate relationship with our good, loving Father. And Lord, we praise you for your grace. Your grace and love that covers a multitude of sins. We know that when we come to you in true repentance, you give your grace all too freely. And Father, as we go out into our weeks, I just pray that you would reveal to us gently, lovingly, but sternly the areas in our lives where pride has invaded, where it's taken root, Lord, where we are not living according to your love, according to your will, and according to your design. Father, we just lay this at your feet in surrender Amen If you would like prayer, please we would love to pray for you The team is here and we want to journey with you We all have things that we need to bring to God Truly, we all do And we'd love to pray with you now So just stand with me as as we worship our good God
1: your body and your blood have shed for me. This is how I fight my
2: God, we thank You for Your Word tonight and how it just speaks into our hearts and into our lives. And I was just conscious, Lord, that maybe there's some, you know, such a great opportunity to respond to You. And I was struck by those words in the Scripture as well that it talks about You pouring out more grace. There's there's, there's areas and things in our heart and our lives that You've pinpointed and You uh, want to work on and You want to bring to the surface, great God. And there's that sense in which, I, I just sense even now there's some going, I know that area, I know I need grace. And that's the promise of Your Word that You bring and You give us more grace to be able to overcome and move forward in those areas that You've pinpointed in our hearts and in our lives. And tonight, it's a great opportunity to respond, but I'm just conscious that maybe, uh, maybe people didn't necessarily come down to respond. But if that's you tonight, you just know, you just know that you need God's grace. You know that you need His mercy and you need His help. I just felt just to give you an opportunity just in this moment, just to pray to Him, just to talk to Him. Maybe you've done that already through the song, but I just wanna take a moment to say, God, I need Your grace in this area. I know You've been putting this on my heart. And so I'm just gonna allow just a few moments here, just in silence, just in your head and in your heart, just to pray to Him, just to talk to Him about it and say, God, I need Your grace in this area. I want you to do that now. you've heard every single prayer here tonight. And I agree with what Tamara mentioned in her sermon that you, I I believe you're faithful and you you answer prayer every single time in one way or the other. Sometimes it's not according to our will or how we want it to be answered, but you do answer prayer. And you've heard every single prayer here tonight, great God. And we thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy, for your empowerment, Father. The areas in our lives that uh, you've been pinpointing you want us to, that you want to work out and uh, we just thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. Um, Lord, we praise You here tonight. Father, thank You that we can come to You at any time Your Word says that we heard tonight, draw near to me. You say, draw near to me and I will draw near to You. It's an extraordinary promise. We thank You that we can come into Your presence, Father. Lord, we uh, we love You so much and we thank You and we just uh, commit uh, tonight to You, but we commit this week to You as well, great God. As You go with us, continue to lead us and guide us, we pray. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. It has been really good to have you here tonight, but I wanna say this this is so important and actually even just praying this before the service, uh, we would love to uh, pray for you. So even if you feel like, oh, look, I didn't respond, but I just would love prayer, then please come down and we'd love to pray for you. You can just uh, connect with us at the Connections Lounge and we'd love to pray for you. It's just so important, Uh, but God bless you. Great to have you here tonight and may God just use you this week. Whatever you're doing, may He use you this week. May you be light and salt, I really do pray. Uh, And yeah, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless.